I didn't realize how much my parents loved me. My mom, my mom would always tell me, you think that you know how much I love you, but until you become a parent, you can't possibly know how much I love you. And I thought, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, that's what every parent says. And then I became a dad, and I realized there's no possible way that I could have ever known how much my mom loved me, how much my dad loved me, because there's no way to communicate that love the love that a parent has for his child or, or that a mom has for his, uh, her child until you become a child. And it's interesting that as the Scripture talks about the love that the Father has for us, the only comparison that we have is the love of a father to his child. And that, even that, is a veiled comparison. Oh, how He loves us. He loves us with such an unfathomable love that I pray that as these students left here this week, that they know that they're loved by God, that they're loved by their Creator. Well, if you have your Bibles uh, this week, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 17, as we continue to walk through the book of Matthew. Uh, We're going to be looking this morning at the transfiguration of Jesus. We're going to be looking at Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. So, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, let's read and see what the Lord has to say to us this this morning. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as the light. And and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here if you wish. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. Jesus came to them and touched them. He says, Arise, do not be afraid. Lifting their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us. We thank you that there is nothing good in us, yet by your grace and by your mercy and your love and compassion, you choose to reveal yourself to us. Lord, this morning, may we see Jesus in all of his glory. May we see Jesus high and lifted up as the King of kings and as the Lord of lords. And may we worship him. May we submit to him as King, as Lord. Thank you. Speak to our hearts. Amen. Today as we leave, I pray that we will see Jesus in such a way that that we will begin to emulate Him, that we will see Him in all of His glory, and that we will emulate Jesus. You know, we become what we behold. You realize that? As I was a kid growing up, I wanted to be just like my dad. My dad liked to hunt, my dad liked to fish, 
I wanted to be just like my dad. My dad uh, uh, cut down trees, learned how to use chainsaws. I wanted to be just like my dad. And whenever I had kids, I began to understand that they wanted to be just like their dad. And, and whenever dad has his tools out, uh, you can see that, that, that Nicholas, uh, that he wanted to help dad. And he wanted to fix the stroller. And so, and so he, got, he got his tools and he was going to help dad. He was going to emulate. He was going to do what he saw dad. Now, he didn't know how to use a screwdriver. He can, he can, barely, he can barely walk. He's, he's not even two years old. But, but he wanted to be just like dad. And our children, our children begin to emulate us as soon as they can first begin to walk and talk. And in fact, that oftentimes is a very sobering moment for parents. Am I right? Whenever, whenever you, you, you accidentally slip out that, that bad word and your children repeats it to you, and, and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that, that, that those words came out of my, my two-year-old, and, and they're only saying what they heard mom and dad say. And, and you begin to see characteristics in your children that you may not like in yourself. I know that, that watching my children grow up, watching Daniel, uh, watching Daniel be a know-it-all and watching Daniel smart mouth, I know that he gets that from his dad, that, that, that his dad is always right and knows everything and, and has to make sure everybody around him knows that he's always right and knows everything. And I see that in my son and, and I watch that and I'm like, oh man, is that really how I am? And my wife says, yes, it's exactly how you are. And, and our children emulate us. They become what they behold. And we do the same thing. Have you ever, do, do you have a friend that, that you spend a whole lot of time with and the more time you spend with that friend, you begin to act like them, you begin to talk like them, you begin to think like them? Because we emulate what we behold. We model what we see. Well, how does this apply to the text? Well, Jesus has been, he's been ministering throughout the region of Galilee with his disciples for the better part of three years now. He's, he's fed the thousands, he's healed the sick, he's taught the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he's taught the multitudes, he's, he's confounded the religious elite, he has done these mighty miraculous works, and all the while he's done it with his disciples. In fact, when he fed the 5,000, who was it that actually was the, the, the instruments of the feeding? It was his disciples. He multiplied the bread and the fish and gave to his disciples and said, go and feed these people. And they kept coming back for more fish and more bread. And there was more fish and there was more bread. But the disciples were with Jesus. They were walking with Jesus. They were talking with Jesus. They were learning from him in every aspect of his life. And so Jesus knew, he he understood this principle that, that we become what we behold. So Jesus wanted his disciples to behold his glory. Not just the way that he interacted, but he wanted his disciples to, to understand and grasp all of the glory that was Christ. And so Jesus, he takes his disciples up on top of the mountain and he is transfigured before them. I want us to understand. Let's go back to the text. Let's go back to the text. And I want us to understand this. Matthew chapter 17. 
Six days later, he took with him Peter and James and John. Six days later from what? Last week we talked about Peter's miraculous, revelatory statement. Thou art the Christ. Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Jesus said, and, and Peter and the disciples and everybody uh, piped up and they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the other prophets. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And then Peter stands up and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this, but my father who is in heaven. And upon this rock, upon the rock of that statement that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, upon the gospel, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so there's this, this miraculous revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus has just performed miracles. He's just fed thousands. There's there's been this this moment of epiphany for the disciples. A week later, Jesus takes them aside and he pulls Peter, James, and John, the the three most, uh, the three closest disciples to Jesus, and they go up on a mountain. And you ever notice that everything important in the Bible happens on a mountain? So so if 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 you're going up on a mountain in the Bible, chances are something important is about to happen, so you need to pay attention. I mean, Moses goes on top of the mountain, God gives him the Ten Commandments. Elijah goes up on top of the mountain, they call down fire from heaven and destroy the, the prophets of Baal. Uh, uh, Jacob is on top of a mountain, God makes a covenant with him and changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Anything that's important happens on a mountain. Well, Jesus takes his disciples up on top of the mountain. And as he goes up on top of the mountain, he wants to give his disciples a clearer picture of his glory. And he does so. And as he is transfigured before them, I want us to notice something very peculiar. Verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And if you're one of those people who writes in your Bibles, I want you to underline sun. Because that's important. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. His face shone like the sun, and his garment became as white as light. Verse 3. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And so as Jesus is transfigured before them, there's a couple things I want us to notice. First of all, I want us to notice that Moses shows up in this transfiguration. Now, if you're, if you're sitting out there and you're thinking, okay, I, I get the whole, de- the whole idea of Jesus being transfigured and he wanted his disciples to understand the full glory of who he was so that they could emulate his full glory so that they could, be a, so that they could become what they behold. I, I get all that. But what does Moses have to do with any of this? Well, remember, Moses was that Old Testament figure that... that for the Israelite people and for the Jewish people that was their their God figure. Moses was, he was the one whom God spoke through and he gave the law. He was the one whom God spoke through that, that he interceded on behalf of the people that Moses, whenever God was ready to destroy all of Israel, Moses went to God and said, look, don't kill them all. You know, I am interceding on behalf of the people. Please have mercy, have grace. And so Moses was the, uh, the giver of the law. He was that one who would intercede on their behalf. And additionally, Moses was, not only was he that priest who would intercede, not only was he the one from whom the law came, but Moses was also acted as ruler, acted as judge, acted as king for the Israelite people for an entire generation. 
And so you had that, that prophet, priest, and king figure in Moses. But most importantly, Moses was the giver of the law. God took Moses up on top of the mountain and gave Moses the law of God. And whenever Moses received the law of God, the scripture tells us that, that Moses pleaded with God that, that, he might, that he might see God. And God told him, he said, no man can see God and live. And Moses, Moses continued to beg God and, and beseech God. He said, please let me see your glory. And so God hollowed out a, a, a hole in a rock and stuck Moses in that hole in the rock. And he allowed only his goodness to pass by. And so Moses spent time with God. The scripture tells us that Moses talked with God as a man talks to his friend face to face. And as Moses came down from the mountain, the scripture tells us that his face shone with the Shekinah glory of God. That because Moses had been in the presence of God, that he reflected the glory of God. Go with me to Exodus chapter 34. I want you to see that the preacher's not just making this up, that it's actually written in the Bible. Exodus chapter 34. We're going to read verses 29 through 33. Exodus 34, 29 through 33. And it came about that when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands, he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all of the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation, they returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. And afterwards the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to them on Mount Sinai. And Moses, when Moses had finished speaking, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. Whenever he came out to speak to the sons of Israel, what he had been commanded. So we see this idea that Moses goes up on top of the mountain. He has this interaction with God. And when he comes down from the mountain, his face reflects the glory of God. Now, we understand through the rest of the Old Testament, through the rest of the, the law, that, that Moses' face didn't shine all the time. That eventually it would wear off. That, that, that it would only shine after Moses had been in the presence of God. After Moses had been on the mountain speaking with God and communing with God. Then he would come down from the mountain and his face would shine with the reflection of the glory of God. Moses in this passage, in Matthew chapter 17, represents the law of God. In a very real, very tangible sense, Moses represents for the Jewish people, for Peter, for James, for John, represents the law of God. And not only the law of God, but he represents a reflection of God's glory. Moses reflected the glory of God. Whenever it's nighttime, There's some big orb in the sky, and it shines, right? And that's what? The moon. Does the moon, is the moon a source of light? No. The moon reflects the light of the sun. And in a very real way, Moses 
is like the moon. He reflects the glory of God. He spends time with God, he comes down from the mountain, and he looks like God. He reflects the glory of God. Now let's go back to Matthew. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 17. Remember that that idea of reflection. So there is Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration. The disciples see Moses, a reflection of the glory of God. They see the law of God represented, and the law of God is a very real reflection of the glory of God. And then we see another figure there in Matthew chapter 17. We see Elijah. And Elijah represents the prophets. And the role of a prophet is very clear and very distinct. The role of the prophet is to speak, thus saith the Lord. The role of the prophet is to proclaim the glory of God. So Moses reflected the glory of God in the law. Elijah proclaimed, thus saith the Lord, Elijah proclaimed the glory of God. And we remember the story of Elijah. Elijah's up on top of Mount Carmel. Remember, everything cool happens on a mountain. So Moses is up on a mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments, spends time with God. Elijah's up on top of a mountain. He is up on top of Mount Carmel. And there are prophets of Baal, and there are thousands of prophets of Baal. And Baal is a false god. And, and so these, all, these, these prophets of Baal are, are having this contest between the God of Israel and the little g God, Baal. And they are going to determine once and for all who is the one true God. And so they have all these prophets of Baal and they're they're pleading for Baal to to call down fire on this mountain to consume this altar. And and they're cutting themselves and they're praying and they're weeping and they're wailing. And and Elijah's just kind of sitting there giggling, laughing, smirking, you know, making fun of these guys, saying, saying, cry louder, scream louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he can't hear you. And then finally, it comes time for Elijah to call down the glory of God. And Elijah asked them in the middle of a famine, in the middle of a drought, he asked them to bring water and, and douse the altar and, and, and completely saturate the altar. And then Elijah calls down fire from heaven. And the God of heaven consumes the altar and the prophets of Baal with fire from heaven. Elijah proclaims the glory of God. Moses reflects the glory of God in the law. Elijah proclaims the glory of God in the the glory of the one true God over all of the other false gods. Elijah proclaims the glory of God. Now, in Matthew chapter 17, there were three figures. There was Moses, there was Elijah, and who was the third figure? I'll give you a hint. It's the same answer in every Sunday school question ever on the face of the planet. Jesus. There are three figures there in Matthew chapter 17. You have Moses, you have Elijah, and then you have Jesus. And Jesus is shown in contrast to Moses and in contrast to Elijah. We see Moses being a reflection of the glory of God. We see Elijah proclaiming the glory of God. And we see Jesus as the essence of the glory of God. We see Jesus as the fulfillment of the glory of God. Remember Looking at Moses, Moses shown with the reflected glory. Go back to Matthew chapter 17. I want us to look at verse 2. If you had your Bibles and you're writing your Bibles, I asked you to underline something. And that word that I asked you to underline was what? Son. 
Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. Because Jesus was not a reflection of the glory of God. Jesus was the glory of God. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this. In the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In John chapter 14, the Word, Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that Jesus is the very essence, the very radiance of the glory of God. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Genesis. I want us to see something that that we may not have seen prior to. Genesis chapter 1, when God spoke the world into existence. I'm going somewhere with this, so just stay with me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Then God said... Let there be light. And there was. That was the first day of creation. Genesis chapter 1, 1. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, separated the light from the darkness. God called this the first day. So God created light on the first day. It's interesting that God doesn't create the sun until... Verse 14, look at verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be, verse 15, for lights in the expanse of the heavens and give light on the earth. And it was so. God made, verse 16, God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, to govern the day and to govern the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. 19, there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. But light was created on day one, yet the sun wasn't created until day four. What does this tell us? It tells us that God does not need the sun because God is in and of himself the very source of light. And in John chapter 1 verse 4, in John chapter 1 verse 4, we've already looked at John chapter 1, 1. In the beginning uh, was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And you skip down to verse 4, it said, And the Word was the light of life, that Jesus is that light essence of the source of light that jesus is the glory of god he's not a reflected glory of god he doesn't simply reflect the glory of the father he is the glory of the father he is god incarnate he is god in the flesh and so while moses reflected the glory of god while the law reflected the divine glory jesus was the divine glory. And then we see Elijah proclaiming the glory of God. Proclaim, thus saith the Lord. And every time Jesus speaks, He says, I say unto you, not thus saith the Lord. Every time the prophets spoke, they would say, thus saith the Lord. Every time Jesus spoke, He said, I say unto you, verily, verily, I say unto you. You have heard it said, a man shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you to look at a woman with lust after her to commit adultery in your heart. You have said, you, you have heard it said, 
You shall not commit murder. But I say unto you, Jesus was the glory of God. The prophets proclaimed the glory of God. Jesus was the glory of God. So, in light of this transfiguration, what's our reaction? What's our response? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 17. Let's look at the text. Peter, James, and John, they see all this taking place. As they see all this taking place, Peter pipes up and he says, this is awesome. I'm going to build a tabernacle for you and for Moses and for Elijah and we're all just going to hang out up here on this mountain and it's going to be great. And, and, and I can see myself in Peter, because when, 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 when God shows up and whenever, whenever things are happening, man, we want to we wanna get on board and we want to we wanna run ahead and we want to do this and we want to do that. And, and, and we just want to be all up in the middle of everything that God is doing. And notice what Scripture says. It says, in the middle of Peter trying to get in the middle of everything and trying to, trying to figure out what's going on and build a tabernacle for Moses and one for Elijah and one for Jesus, a voice from heaven says, Peter, shut up. Well, the text doesn't actually say shut up, but it might as well. Look at what it says. Verse 5, while Peter was still speaking. So God interrupts Peter. Because Peter's interrupting God, right? God's having this moment up on the mountain. You know, you got Elijah, you got Moses, you got Jesus. There, there's this, this God moment. And Peter jumps up and says, all right, God, let's, let's, let's build a tabernacle. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then God shows up. Verse 5, and while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of heaven and said, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The glory of the Lord, the glory of God, shut Peter's mouth. When we behold the glory of God, it ought to shut our mouth. When we see God in all of His glory, when we see Christ revealed in all of His glory, it ought to shut our mouths. If we think that we can somehow add to the glory of God, because that's what Peter was doing. He was trying to to give something, to, to, to bring something to the table that might benefit God, to bring something to the table that might add to this experience. And God said, Peter, just shut up. When the glory of God is revealed, we realize that we can add nothing to God and His glory. Do you realize the only thing we bring to the table regarding our salvation is the sin? It's God's initiative. God works in us. God sent Christ to die on our behalf. The only contributing factor we have to our salvation is the sin. When we think that we can somehow add to the glory of God, God reveals His glory to us and it shuts our mouth. Because God is sufficient. He needs nothing. There's nothing we can bring to the table, no amount of service that we can do, no amount of money that we can give, no amount of prayers that we can pray, no amount of of work that we can do to add to the glory of God because Christ is the glory of God 
all in and of Himself. He needs not us. God's glory shut Peter's mouth. And secondly, God's glory revealed commanded obedience. Look at what it says. It says in verse 5, it said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When God reveals His glory, it shuts us up, realizing that we can add nothing to the glory of God, and it commands our obedience. After Peter and John came down from that, Peter, James, and John came down from that mountain, they had no choice but to obey Jesus. God had just revealed Jesus in all of His glory and commanded their obedience. God's glory is revealed. It ought to silence us and command our obedience. So I want to close here with this this morning. As we see Jesus high and lifted up, will we become like Him? Chris, put up that picture of Nicholas again. As this little boy is trying with everything that he is to be like his dad, I wonder if we're trying with everything we are to be like Jesus. When God reveals who Jesus is, when God pulls back the scales of our eyes and reveals the glory of God in Christ, it ought to, in us, invoke an emotion. I want to be like Him. I want to be like Jesus. If our children can see and emulate us. Can't we emulate Jesus? The answer is, not without the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Not in and of ourselves. You can't be good enough. I can't be good enough. I can try as hard as I possibly can, but I can't be like Jesus. Because I'm broken. Because I'm a sinner. I'm a liar. But the good news is that God demonstrated His great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And He promises when, he, when we're born again that He fills us with His Spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and only through the revelation of the Holy Spirit in us, God working in us, are we able to emulate Jesus. So this morning, as Jesus is revealed, Will you become what you behold? The only way to do that is to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And as we do, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to Him, I want to invite you to come to become what you behold. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We thank You that, that in Christ You revealed Your glory to us. We thank You that You revealed Your glory to us 
And you desired to have a relationship with us. So much so that you sent Jesus to die in our place. Father, there's someone here this morning who's never trusted Jesus for their salvation. I want to invite them to come at this time. Maybe there's someone here who needs to be obedient. Your Word tells us that that when your glory is revealed, it commands obedience. And there's some here this morning who simply need to be obedient. Maybe there's some here who need to stop trying to add to the glory of God and simply recognize that He is God. Maybe there are those here who know that Redeemer is the place that God is calling you to serve and you need to make this your home church. Maybe God is calling you to follow Him in baptism. Maybe God is calling you to a deeper relationship with Him. During this time of invitation, I want to invite you to come. Maybe use this altar to pray. Maybe grab someone with you and come pray with them. May you not leave this place without doing business with God. We pray for your Holy Spirit to have His freedom in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.